Okay, hold on to your hats, folks. <laughs> or better yet, open up your Bibles to page 30, 93 in the New Testament. This is a complicated story to follow. But right away, there's something unusual about this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. It takes place in the middle of the night. Why does Nicodemus, a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council, decide to come to Jesus after dark? Is he afraid, oh, I have to say, Nick at night, oh, yeah. Um, is, he, <laughs> is he afraid to be seen talking with this upstart young rabbi? Is he hoping to avoid the crowd so that he can talk with Jesus privately? Or is he so full of questions that he can't sleep and he takes a long walk which just happens to bring him to Jesus? We don't know. Whatever the reason, Gail O'Day points out that Nicodemus' action is both positive and negative. Positive becomes because he seeks out Jesus, which is the first step toward discipleship. Negative because in this gospel, darkness is a symbol of unbelief and separation from God. Still, Jesus comes, and his first words to Jesus—excuse me, Nicodemus comes—and his first words to Jesus are definitely positive. We know, he tells Jesus, that you are a teacher who has come from God because no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Nicodemus is looking back to Jesus' visit to Jerusalem where he cleared the temple of the sacrificial animals and of people that were changing money and was questioned by the Pharisees, questioned by people there. And yet it says, the Bible tells us, that many believed in him because of the signs, that's the miracles, that he was doing. And so Nicodemus seems to be genuinely impressed with Jesus, and yet I can't help but wonder if he has an ulterior motive, if he's trying to trap Jesus in some way. I guess I'm just suspicious of Pharisees in that way. If that is so, Jesus doesn't take the bait. On the contrary, the conversation that ensues might lead us to think that it is Jesus who is trying to entrap Nicodemus, but that's not his purpose. Jesus recognizes that it is spiritual hunger that has led Nicodemus to seek him out. And though his first words to Nicodemus appear to be a non sequitur, they are actually designed to move him out of his comfort zone into new and deeper understanding. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. That's how the New Revised Standard Bible version, excuse me, translates the Greek word Anothen. The New International Version, however, translate the word as born anew. And to be honest, both are correct. The phrase born from above describes a birth that is generated from the realm of God, while the phrase to be born anew reveals that Jesus is talking about something other than physical birth. To hold one meaning or the other is to limit our understanding of the spiritual rebirth of which Jesus is speaking. It takes both meanings. As it turns out, anothen also means born again, and that's how Nicodemus takes it. How can anyone be born again after they grow old, he asks Jesus. Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus seems unable to imagine something beyond what he knows to be possible. And so Jesus tries again offering Nicodemus a fresh set of images. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. 
What is born of flesh is flesh, and one of born of spirit is spirit. Now, it's tempting to interpret Jesus' mention of water as a reference to baptism, but bear in mind that Nicodemus had no experience at all with this peculiar, peculiarly Christian act. Galo Day again suggests an alternative, that Jesus' words are playing back to what Nicodemus had to say, that they are a reference to the water of a woman's womb. It is as, Jesus, as if Jesus is telling Nicodemus that entering the kingdom of God requires two births, a physical birth and a spiritual rebirth. New life, O'Day writes, will be born from water and the spirit, no longer only from water. Spirit and flesh are held together. Jesus doesn't stop there, but immediately offers another image to Nicodemus. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here again, our English translation hides the nuance in his words, for the Greek word pneuma means both wind and spirit. This new birth is like the wind, Jesus tells Nicodemus. Though you can see its effects, you don't know its origin or its end. Likewise, though we can see the effects of spiritual rebirth, how it comes about is a mystery beyond our knowledge or control. Nicodemus doesn't handle mystery very well. Despite his credentials as a leader and his self-professed knowledge of Jesus, he is still very much in the dark at this point. Confused and frustrated, he cries out, how is it possible for these things to happen? Jesus is a little frustrated too, I think. And he rebukes Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. Still, Jesus does not give up. He goes on to remind Nicodemus of a story that is recorded in Numbers 19. And in that story, God appoints serpents to attack his disobedient people, but God also provides a remedy for their bites. Those who would ask for healing while looking at a bronze service that Moses lifts up on a pole will be saved. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Again, his words are nuanced. To be lifted up in this gospel refers to Jesus' crucifixion, but also to his resurrection and his exaltation, an act through which we are given, indeed, the hope of eternal life. And then Jesus brings it home. How can this things be, these things be, Nicodemus? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. In this gospel, eternal life means life not in the presence of God, not just in some future, but right here and right now. All the gifts of which Jesus speaks, seeing the kingdom of God, entering the kingdom of God, a new birth in the spirit, eternal life are the result of God's love for the world, a love so powerful, so amazing that it led God to give his son, to send Jesus to us, 
and not just to us, but also to the whole world, the cosmos in Greek. Jesus continues, indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That statement is especially astounding because in this gospel, the cosmos is an entity that is hostile to God. Nevertheless, Jesus said, it is not God who condemns the world. No, sadly, the world, we condemn ourselves by refusing to accept the relationship of love that God offers us in Christ, thus choosing to remain in the dark, facing our fears, our doubts, and our needs alone. Jesus came into the world to call us out of that darkness into the light, but he doesn't force us. He will do everything he can to bring us to himself, but ultimately the choice is up to us. That is why Jesus labors so hard to help Nicodemus. He wants for Nicodemus to accept his offer of relationship, to be his disciple, to learn of God's love, and to live in that love. He wants to save Nicodemus from himself, to guide him out of the darkness of spiritual night into the light of divine love. Now let me say right here when I say that accepting that gift I'm not talking about professing a belief, a doctrine. I'm talking about being a part of a relationship, being in relationship with Christ. That's what this gospel is all about, to have faith, to believe in Christ is to be in relationship with him. It's not about just saying words. just want you to know that. Because Jesus wants this relationship for us too. When Jesus tells Nicodemus, you do not receive our testimony, the you in that sentence is plural. He's speaking not just to the Pharisee, but to all of us. For like Nicodemus, we are often in the dark, certain of what we know and unwilling to see new possibilities and to receive new ideas. Remember Nicodemus' words to Jesus? How can anybody be born after having grown old? Matt Skinner suggests we think of old in the sense of maturity. Why would you hope for newness, having already reached maturity, having already created establishment? Why would a person want to go back to being young, especially in a culture like that one where wisdom, the age of, wisdom of age was valued? It's as, as if Nicodemus is saying, hey, I'm in the best part of life now. Why should I start over? I've finally figured it out, and, you're, and now you're asking me to rethink everything again? Yeah, he is. And I think we feel a little like Nicodemus, too. Let me add at this point that in encouraging Nicodemus to think about new things, Jesus in no way is saying, I'm coming here to replace Judaism. That's not his purpose. No, he's talking about receiving the gift that God offers us in Jesus Christ. The gift of becoming, as it says in the first chapter of John, the children of God, who were born not of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. It's about accepting the gift of God's love. In a 2014 commentary on this passage, David Lose writes, God and Jesus had made God's decision and it is for us. Yes, we can run, but we can't change the fact that God loves us, that God, in fact, loves the whole world more than we can imagine. Yes, this is good news, the best news, but first is hard. 
Hard because we're not in control. Hard because it's not up to us. Hard because we, every time we hear how much God loves us, we also know that we had nothing to do with it, cannot influence, and therefore are out of control. On the other hand, precisely because we are not in control of this relationship, that is, this is a relationship established wholly by God, we realize that it is the one relationship we can't blow. God has taken the responsibility for this one. We can't blow this relationship. God loves us no matter what. We can, however, refuse it. As the Gospel of John will show us over and over again, those who encounter Jesus are confronted with a choice, a decision. Contrary to what we might think, however, that choice is not whether or not we will believe in Jesus and thus eternal, earn eternal life. As Jesus strives to make clear in this passage, it's not our believing that gives us birth from above. Only the Spirit can perform that labor of love. No, the choice that is given to us is this. Whether or not to accept Jesus' invitation to come into the light and to embrace the relationship of love that is freely offered to us, thus becoming a full participant in the eternal life that is already ours in Christ. Either way, God will still love us, but if we refuse his invitation, we will never know the joy of that love. Nicodemus' nighttime meeting presents him with that very choice. Will he come into the light and open himself to a relationship with Jesus, or will he reject Jesus and choose to stay in the dark? For some of us, the response to that invitation comes in an instant. But for Nicodemus, as for many of us, myself included, making that decision is a journey, a journey that takes Nicodemus and maybe ourselves a very long time. The gospel does give us a glimpse, however, along the way. For in John 7, we find Nicodemus tentatively encouraging the Sanhedrin not to condemn Jesus with, excuse me, Nicodemus, tentatively encouraging the Sanhedrin not to condemn Jesus without a fair hearing. It's an act which earns him some ridicule, and once again, Nicodemus fades into the shadows. But then, but then, after the crucifixion, we read in John 19 that Nicodemus joins with Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple, to bury Jesus. In the full light of day, in the sight of anyone who passes by, they carefully take Jesus' body down from the cross, wrap it with spices, and lay it in a new tomb. This act is their gift to the God, to the one who had given his all, their thanks for the undying love of God that is theirs and ours in Jesus Christ. And so in the end, it seems, Nicodemus finally came to know who Jesus is and what it means to be born of water and of the Spirit. On us, it would be good for us to pray. To pray that the Spirit will indeed work within us so that we too will live in the light and come to know the height and depth of God's great love, a love that will not let us go, a love that we need more than we know. Thanks be to God. Amen.